The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome into the SB Nation NFL show, and we are back for yet another 2021 NFL Draft Special. I'm your host, Michael Kist, and today we have two great conversations with two great guests for you. First up, John Ledyard of Pewter Report is going to talk about NFL Draft prospects that he's higher or lower on than the consensus, so we get outside of groupthink there. Plus, we had the fortune of the Tom Brady news breaking right before we got in the booth, so you're going to get some bonus Bucks coverage with thoughts on what the Tom Brady extension means for the Bucks, both short-term and long-term. And then after the break, will be our own Kyle Posey talking with NFL draft prospect Rondell Moore, the excellent wide receiver out of Purdue. They have a tremendous conversation, so stick around for that, and stick around for all the content here at the SB Nation NFL Show by smashing that subscribe button, and while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps the network, and hey, either way, we appreciate you stopping by, so thanks for joining us. So with the table set, let's dig in, starting with my conversation with John Ledyard. John, welcome back to the SB Nation NFL Show. You joined us for the Super Bowl, for the uh, Super Bowl roundtables that we had. Did such a great job on there personal friend of mine as well. So I decided to have you in to talk some NFL draft. But John, before before we get into that, right before we recorded, there was news that dropped that is right up your alley. So I'm glad that I have you as a resource for this because Tom Brady has signed an extension with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You obviously cover the Bucs for Pewter Report. And the way the tweet was worded kind of blew my mind. Adam Schefter said, Tom Brady reached agreement with the Buccaneers today on a four-year contract extension that voids to one to a one-year extension, already blowing my mind. That locks him into Tampa through the 2022 season, sources tell ESPN. John, what what's the bottom line on this? <laughs> I'll just tell you the bottom line because I don't understand any of the other lines. <laughs> the bottom line is that the Bucks have 19 million more in cap space now than they did a few minutes ago. And so that's the bottom nice. line. They have the cap space that they need for this season. It also means Brady will be with the team through 2022 rather than being a free agent after this season, which he was slated to be. That part was kind of always expected. You know, the Bucks. Once he started playing well, even before they won the Super Bowl, I think the plan was to try and extend him at that point in time, smooth out his cap hit. Now they've done that. The question that we didn't know was, what is it going to look like in terms of cap space for this season? 19 million more. They were about 5 million over. Depends where you look. Depends what you count. Everything's a little bit different. But they'll be somewhere around 14 million under the cap now. So they easily have the space to be able to offer Shaq Barrett an extension with just a lower year one cap hit. And always important to remember the Bucks. They are one of those rare teams that are good, just won a Super Bowl if you hadn't heard, and they are uh, also have 
among the most cap space in the league for 2022-2023. So lots of space to push cap it, get extensions and count money in those years without really hurting themselves. And years, by the way, that the cap will go up without really hurting themselves like teams like the Saints and Steelers and Eagles, I'm sorry to bring up, have uh, done in recent years. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about it Wednesday, and I was saying it looks like what the Bucks are going to do is push as much money to 2022 and 2023 that they can because this is a lower cap year, and then the cap is going to go up, and the way they can do these contracts really favors them in that, in, in that part. And I said the guy to keep an eye on was Shaq Barrett because – at that point, he was the odd man out. Chris Godwin was locked up, and they had just signed Levante David. So it now like it looks like they can get Barrett back too. So the rich get richer, both figuratively and 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 literally in the situation. And the Bucks are in a in a beautiful spot to kind of run it back, and they have some flexibility where they're just a lot of Super Bowl teams. You see them just get poached from talent because they cannot afford it, and that's not the Bucks right now. Right, they are very much in a rare window, and I honestly think they didn't expect. I don't think they – I think they were a little bit surprised they won the Super Bowl in the first year of this whole thing with Brady. You know, I think that <laughs> yeah. it, it even caught them by surprise a little bit how quickly it all came together after the bye that they won the Super Bowl. They really thought this year would be their window. And so it's obvious that they're working as hard as they can to make sure that remains the case. Brady obviously sticking around for another year makes sense for now too. It allows them to be able to look next year at their options in, in the draft and potentially look to find his replacement. The other wrinkle in it is that in 2022, they'll have a number of free agents. Um, we will see who gets extended this offseason. I think an extension for Ryan Jensen could be in the cards, a short one. But if yes. Ryan Jensen doesn't get extended, he and Alex Kappa, their right guard, and Donovan Smith, their left tackle, will all be free agents next offseason, as will Jordan Whitehead. And we'll see what hap- the length of Gronkowski's next contract. Uh, but... Um, if that's a year, he and OJ Howard will be free agents. Um, so there's a number of people, Ronald Jones. So they, it's all ancillary guys for the most part, guys you can replace, but replacing them in one offseason is tough. So that puts a lot of priority on this year's draft. And maybe if they make a move or two in free agency there as well, they've got to be able to, the key to all of this kind of, if you're going to push money for your stars, if you're going to bring back Levante David, bring back Shaq Barrett, try and get Chris Godwin extended, potentially, you know, Carlton Davis again is another guy who they want to keep around long term. If you're going to do all that, that's fine. You can do all that, but you've just got to replace the the Alex Kappas, the Jordan Whiteheads, who are good, solid players that can come in and get the job done for you, but they're not going to earn as much money with you as they would somewhere else once they become free agents. So that's where the Bucks. That's a, the question mark. That and you know, if Brady ever declines, those are the question marks that would kind of hang over a a, a potential Super Bowl window here uh, for the Bucks. Yeah, I mean. If they continue drafting the way they've been drafting, it doesn't seem like that's going to be much of an issue. They've been one of the better drafting teams in recent years. We can see it in their young secondary. We can see it in their offensive line. They've just been absolutely spectacular about it. And we'll see if that run of luck can continue. And that's a perfect transition to our topic today, which we were initially going to talk about. We're going to talk about some NFL draft stuff. And and what we're going to kind of do is I asked John because I I like John because – John doesn't really get into the group thing. John forms his own opinions, and sometimes they can be seen as radical or, or whatever the case may be. But he's always got you know a, a good, sound argument behind it as to why he's maybe higher or lower on some guys. So we're going to talk about some guys that John might be higher or lower on. One guy that he really likes, and we'll start in the trenches, uh, there is a man that is 6'6", 320, that only allowed four pressures last year per PFF. John, what offensive tackle caught your fancy in your tape viewing experience? Yeah, I really like Oklahoma State's Tevin Jenkins. You know, his tape, I think, is is fantastic. 
people he's kind of a late bloomer he wasn't really talked about as a top prospect coming into the season but he's gotten better every year at Oklahoma State and this year really took it to another level obviously a lot of passing in the Big 12 and so he's getting a lot of pass uh, protection situations and there's I mean a decent amount of stuff that puts him on an island you know he's in he's in harder situations and so you really get to evaluate him in scheme and, and in situations that are very NFL style uh, for a lot of uh, offenses in today's league so I like that you get to see him vertical set a lot um, you get to see him jump set people and so you get to kind of a feel for who he is as a player how he handles things in protection he has shorter arms than than most tackles i think he's is going to come in over 33 inches for a while there there were some rumors that he would be under 33 but he he came in over at the exos pro pro day um so i think he's going to check the box enough for some teams in that way but he's going to be under 34 and some teams like 34 inches uh on the arm length but for me, the biggest thing with Jenkins is that even despite being a little bit short-armed, he doesn't get overextended or kind of like lunge out at guys. He's very calm. He waits for guys to come to him. And if he can time that punch-up, that's his key. His whole game is kind of predicated on timing that punch-up. If he can do that, though, kids, I mean, he lands his hands, and it is ferocious. So he can throw people around. Great grip strength. Um, so he's got a lot of great traits. Uh, his pass protection footwork, I think one of the most slept on things about him is that he's very explosive out of his stance. He's not necessarily this great athlete in space. No one's going to, you know, say he reminds him of Tristan Wirfs or anything like that, but you know, he is kind of the, the, the type of player that functionally is movement very, very good for the position. And so I love that about him pass pro. The only question now is, does he stay a tackle or go to guard? I think he could be a good tackle in the NFL might be a great guard. Marshall Yonda was the player that kept coming to mind when I watched him. Um, so yeah. I think there's some similarities there. And, and, and same with Yonda. He could probably could have been a good tackle and was when teams needed him to be, but was a really, really good guard. And I wonder if that might be the future for Jenkins. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the the arm length with the possibility of going to guard, and you mentioned the quickness out of his stance. That's really important. I remember Howard Mudd saying, like, it's either length or it's quickness. Just get to the effing spot and deliver a blow <laughs> you know, when and where you need to. And it sounds like Jenkins is able to do that as he gets out of his stance. On the flip side, there is a tackle that you weren't so enamored with compared to consensus, despite having a a breakout 2020 by most accounts. Mm -hmm. Tell me why you're not sold on Virginia Tech tackle Christian Derisaw. Well, he's very talented in terms of naturally what you look for. Um, Again, a guy that's very big, very powerful. That does show up on tape with him. But and, it, and he moves very well. He's very smooth, very fluid. Um, he can kind of turn and get to the second level. There's no stiffness. Um, so he's a lot of, and really in a lot of ways, he's kind of the prototype. He's what you want him to look like. I mean, a tackle that can be as, that is as big and as powerful as him, but also can bend like he does, you know, his knee bend and everything. Like he just, you can tell physically and athletically, there are not many limitations to what he can do. Um, technically though is where it kind of falls apart a little bit for Derisaw. He had good results in pass protection this season. I don't think his process was always very good. He kind of survived, but he underset guys a lot and he survived by just kind of a not facing that many great pass rushers. The offense and the scheme helped him a ton. Lots of RPOs, play action, lots of pass protection help from backs pretty consistently, um, especially in late game pass obvious situations. And he kind of just survived by kind of lunging and pushing guys up the arc that couldn't turn. I worry about the translation for him. I have no doubt that on tape this year he got good results, and I understand why his, his PFF grade was was very good. I think, and why he kind of it's seen as a breakout year for him. But this is a run heavy offense. 
There's lots of play actions, move the quarterback off the spot, bootlegs, quick throws. It's just a scheme that hit his deficiencies really well. And I think he's Mm. very strong in the run game. They ran a lot of zone. A lot of people see him as a bigger guy, so they just automatically think you want him driving people off the ball. And I think he could survive in the run game in in any scheme, really. Um, But pass game is where I really wonder about it. It's a passing league. To me, I think there's there, he mistimes his hands. He lets guys get into his pads. And again, he's big and strong, so he could grab guys in their shoulder pads and kind of hang on in there, and it was a quick passing attack. But process-wise, it wasn't very clean with him. When you compare him to a guy like Jenkins or Slater, you know, you're like, okay, these guys are clean. Every rep's clean. And Derisaw just kind of – it looked like he was kind of hanging in there and getting by on pass protection a lot of the time rather than it really being this consistent, uh, fundamentally sound approach. I think in the NFL, pastors are just a lot better, and they have a tendency to expose him. So you have to watch him really closely, I think, to see some of the concerns. He's still a good prospect, but if you're going to take him top 10, 15, I think that's where you get into some some danger zone with him, maybe. Speaking of which, with these two guys, let's let's take like a 10-pick range. What's a 10-pick range where you would take Jenkins? Tevin Jenkins, what's a 10-pick range where you would take and feel comfortable taking Christian Derisaw? I think because of positional importance for Derisaw, I mean, if I felt like my scheme was great for him, I would still probably consider him in the back half of round one. I would consider him. I'd feel more comfortable if it were early round two. Uh, The other thing with Derisaw that you have to be able to gauge and that I can only see so much of from my vantage point is there are games in which the dude just puts it on cruise control. I mean, and I am the last person in the world, you know this probably from years of us talking about this stuff, to criticize effort. But everybody has said it now with him. And at some point, and I went in thinking, nah, I'm not going to come away with that take. Dude, I watched the Duke game. Brandon has told me to watch the Brandon Thorne has told me to watch the Liberty game. And he said yeah. that's like the most concerning one. I mean, Liberty, dude, like you should be like trying to crush every, you know what I mean? So yeah. the Duke game was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, oh man, like this needs to be games where you're cranking it, you know, to 11 and the Duke game was really concerning for me. And there were plays he just doesn't even try to get to a linebacker. He has an angle on second level. He lets guys go at the first level. And so focus and effort, you know, those are things that teams are going to have to measure with him. So that's where my concerns would be with him. Really. If you're drafting him, he has the tools to develop in a situation like San Francisco, if they lose Trent Williams, mm-hmm. I mean, he could be a plug and play guy that in that passing attack, you know, they help, they'll help him a lot. It'll be, you know, they'll, they'll throw a lot off play action. So, I mean, it, it could be a situation for him. That's really ideal uh, when the, and it's a run oriented approach. Um, so it depends on the system for sure. Jenkins. I mean, I'd feel good about him in the top 20 for sure. Um, the question really is what is your scheme like? And do you want him to play tackle or do you want to play guard? I mean, I think as a guard, like I said, he could be one of the 10 best players in the draft. I really, you know, really mm-hmm. think that um, as a tackle, it is a little bit more of a question mark because I do think the length matters, but I definitely think he has enough to get by and that's a position of importance. So I'd still feel great in the top 20. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So we got some, some flags and we got some draft crushes here along the, uh, along the trenches. Let's keep it on the offensive side of the ball, but let's, let's get a little sexier with it. If you're looking for a productive slot guy, there's one that you, uh, that, that you really like, and he hauled in nearly 1200 yards in just eight games this past season. Who is it, John? Yeah, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. Now, I have actually been on Elijah Moore since like the beginning of his career there. I mean, I just, I've always watched a ton of SEC ball and and they obviously had a ton of good receivers there when Metcalf and Brown. And he just would always flash. He'd barely get into games, but he'd always flash over and over again. And man, I, I, I mean, acceleration and burst out of his breaks. I remember scouting Grant Delpit against Ole Miss 
and watching Elijah Moore just tear Delpit up. I mean, you know, ver- whether it was man coverage in the slot or it was yeah. uh, vertical routes into his zone as a safety. I mean, it just he has the speed and acceleration that you want. I mean, I don't think he's a four two guy or anything like that, but I bet he runs four fours and he so he can get vertical from the slot. He makes great plays on the ball despite being a smaller receiver. Acceleration out of his cuts is unbelievable. Um, so there's really a lot. I mean, if he was a bigger guy, we'd be talking about him as a top ten pick. He's just he's just a smaller guy, and there will be limitations that come with that for sure. He might be a slot only in the NFL. So what's the value for your specific scheme for a slot only player? That's what teams will have to ask. I don't know about his range. I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, you said pick guys that you're higher on the consensus. He would have been one I said. Now I look around and I see a lot of people putting him in the second round. So I might not be higher on him than consensus now <laughs> in all transparency. But I love his game and I think he'll be a really good player in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, the loaded wide receiver room there for, for the beginning of his career. And you've seen nothing but increased production from him. 400 yards, 900 yards, and then now almost 1,200 yards in his final year there. So that's a, that's a, that's a fun guy to watch let's go to the defensive side of the ball and we'll we'll stick in the trenches here since we did some offensive tackle talk let's talk about some pass rushers there is a name that I've seen pop up a lot throughout the season despite really not seeking it out but he only has one year of production he opted out this year which I, I won't blame him for but there are some that believe he has enough tools to be a stud you're on the other side of the fence with Gregory Rousseau the edge out of Miami tell me why yeah I mean to me Rousseau is a guy that a lot of people really, they want to see Jason Pierre-Paul or Chandler Jones when they watch him. And, uh, you know, I, Chandler Jones, I don't see it. I mean, you have to be so good with your hands to be compared to Chandler yeah. Jones to me. I, I just, you know, and, and with your processing, I mean, Chandler Jones' ability to kind of process on the move is just really, really good in my opinion. Um, uh, Rosso is just way too raw for me to go to that comparison. I'll, I get body type-wise a little bit. Jason Pierre-Paul is maybe a little bit closer because Paul – kind of even in the NFL he like will you know you won't see, notice him for three games and then off three sacks against some chump at yeah. tackle and I'm not saying he only beats up on weaker competition but throughout his career you know I remember charting him for years and it was just okay nothing 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 and then all of a sudden there'd be like you know some so you know Chaz Green or somebody like that and he's got a three sack day um and so I think there's something I mean Russo plays Florida State and he gets like six sacks in a game you know and then it, oh he's 15 yeah. sacks on the year well yeah I mean so there's some of that like where but the di- big difference is you know in the in the similarity is that bursts and, and uh, explosiveness off the line of scrimmage and speed up the arc are neither strong suit, neither Pierre Paul or Russo. So they have to find other ways to win. But again, Pierre Paul does that with his hands. He's very physical. He kind of get he's got the long arm approach. He can cross the face of guards on the inside. That's another similarity between he and Russo. I just think Pierre Paul is way more physical and a way better run defender. And he's a way sharper player on the field. Those things really are the, they seem small maybe, but they're a big difference in terms of your career. When you're limited in a certain area that's key to, to being a good pass rusher, like burst and explosiveness and speed, like when you don't have those things, you've got to be really good in another area to carve out the kind of career Jason Pierre Paul has carved out. And a lot of that comes with smarts and physicality. So I think that's a big difference right now in their games. Maybe Russo finds that he's young, but again, a guy with his lack of explosiveness off the ball. Is he going to play on the edge full time in the NFL? I really don't know. I, I mean, he's not a great run defender right now. He's not a super technically sound guy. He doesn't push people around on the edge. You know, that what does he hang his hat on as an edge rusher? Because a lot of his production when he had that 15 sack season was on the inside. You know, he was inside over guards or unblocked on stunts and things like that. They did that a lot and he got a lot of production off of that. So it looks great on paper when you turn on the tape. 
You don't see him win the edge as a pass rusher hardly at all. So you go, okay, is he an inside guy? Is he is he somebody that at his peak can be like David Irving? At his peak, maybe when David, you know, not counting the off the field stuff for David Irving, like maybe at his peak he could be David Irving. But again, Irving was a little bit bigger, a little bit longer, I think. Yeah, definitely had had more weight on him. So Russo's got to bulk up and Irving wasn't a full-time player. So you're telling me you're taking a part-time player in the top 15 in Russo? What's the role full-time? To me, better projection for his career is probably more like a Michael Johnson in Cincinnati. And I know people won't like that, but like that's, you know, inside outside guy who played and gave you great reps as a rotation. He could drop occasionally into coverage and maybe Russo can do some things like that and be a nice piece. I think he can play. It's just where do you value him? I just don't think it's anywhere near the first round. Yeah, this edge class is is super weird. And there is another edge that you're low on that's getting some hype out of nowhere. Seemingly Washington's Joe Tyron has been getting some buzz. But you're not sold, John, right? No, I'm so lost <laughs> on this one. Russo, at least, he had production. He plays for major school. He had this crazy production. And, you know, he sits out the year. So the buzz is worn off a little bit. But, you know, when you come off a 15 sack season in college at a major school like Miami, you're going to have, you know, with his build and his, you know, I get it. Like I understand where it comes from. I just think the tape reveals it shouldn't be there. I have no clue what we're doing with Joe Tryon. Like, I mean, he's in the first round of mocks all the time. I I just am not sure. Like, what is the trade? Do Do people think he's great athlete? I mean, he's, you know, he's got a good frame, I guess, but he's not really a great athlete at all. He's not explosive or fast. You know, he corners on occasion, but it's usually due to a bad pass set. He's physical and aggressive for sure, but he doesn't have great. I mean, watch the Washington State game, I think, where they're rushing three men all the time, but he's still getting one-on-one matchups a lot on the outside. I mean, he is just, he looks like a, I mean, he's crazy. Like he's just throwing his hands around and spinning in place and not beating anyone. I mean, it's just madness. I mean, it's it's really, he, I give him this. He has great effort. He's strong and he'll, I think he's going to play really hard in the NFL. But if you're not a great athlete and you don't have go-to pass rush moves or go-to, you know, quote-unquote way to win as a pass rusher, I am really not sure, like, why I'm that interested in you. are not a great player in space, so there's going to be some limitation to you as a run defender that probably negates whatever you can offer as a point-of-attack guy. So where's the pass rush? Where's the upside? You know, where's the excitement about him as a rusher? Again, I think there's a lot of guys in this class, not many polished finished products, but a lot of guys with upside, at least on the edge. I would just rather take a chance on somebody like that than somebody who I think is kind of maxed out and, and not very good as they are. To me, he's like a third, fourth guy you know, who can give you some rotation reps, maybe improves his handwork and his rush move repertoire and can rush inside a little bit. And, you know, you get with a great D-line coach, they might be able to maximize your value as a mid-round pick. But before that, I am... For, I'm lost on the first round t- talk, especially after he sat out 2020. Like, there's not even yeah. recent energy with this guy, and nobody <laughs> talked about him in 2019. So where did it come from? Like, I I don't get it. The the way you described his his pass rush against like Washington State is like a, it's like a, a hamster in yeah. a wheel, just just like really going for right. it, but not going anywhere. No, yeah, I mean he played very hard, but it was very hard to watch. <laughs> <laughs> So with this with this class, man, like who is the premier edge rusher in this class? Maybe that's why people are reaching for guys like this. Mm-hmm. Is this a class like who's the guy you take on take a swing on in the first round? Is it is it Quiddy Pay uh, from Michigan? Is it uh, uh, Jason Owe from from Penn State? Maybe the kid out of Georgia. Like, what are we realistically looking at with the top of this edge class? Well, you know, first of all, you're right that people are kind of throwing every name out there, and let's just be honest. 
this is the draft where we were more in the dark than ever any draft I can ever remember yeah. because of obviously COVID and, and the you know no combine and no access to these pro days really and like there's not as much knowledge even amongst people who usually give us information like you know ma- major reporters and stuff so we are really in the dark so yeah all the guys you just named are probably going to go in the first round I think maybe I don't know I mean we've seen like eight different tackles in the first round of mock drafts right now like that's just <laughs> not going to happen somebody is going to you know so there's this everybody is just kind of throwing something out there and hoping that by the time the draft rolls around, they can say, Hey, I got this right. You know, that's really the way, I mean, that's the draft in general, but um, you know, with these, this edge class, I think it's Jalen Phillips from Miami is the, is the best guy to me. He's the only guy that is a first round grade for me. I don't think he's a, I know he's not a, like a lock or anything because, you know, a is only one year for college. I do like to see at least something before that. And he really didn't have, I mean, he started at UCLA, there was off the, some off the field stuff, but also he got three concussions. He medically retired for a year. He got into the music industry. He went down to 218 pounds. Then he decided mm. he really missed football and he went transferred to Miami and he bulked back up to 266. He looks like a Greek God. I mean, his frame is unbelievable. He just, I not only do I, do I think there's might be some maturity that happened there as it does for all of us in those years, typically, uh, hopefully, um, but also, I think physically, the ability to get from 218 to 266 in an offseason and kind of put yourself in position to dominate the ACC for a year, that's pretty special stuff. I mean, that yeah. it's not something everybody can do. Remember, he was a top recruit out of high school, too. I think some recruiting mm-hmm. services at least had him as the number one overall player in the country um, out of high school. So he's a guy with always had a ton of potential, always had a ton of ability. I think he's finally – it took him a little while, but I think he's finally really focused on football and his body, and it matters, and it's showing up on tape. And so I, I like where he's the trajectory there, but I also can't speak to concussion history. I can't speak to his injuries. Can't speak to who he is personally, really even. So everybody's got to deal with that stuff on their own. I know on tape, he's the only guy in this class that I see that consistently wins all three ways you can win as a pass rusher on the outside edge of the tackle, uh, on the, you know, going through tackles with power moves and crossing their face and beating them inside. He does all three of those things. He gets how to set guys up. He gets how to move his hips and his, his, his ankles and get to, uh, angled toward the pocket. Um, so he just offers a lot of really good things, really good traits. Um, I think that he's still developing a little bit in terms of consistency and being able to read tackles and consistently do what, what you should do in certain situations. But showing the ability to win on all three planes with his natural tools already, um, really good sign for the future that he's going to be the best edge rusher and maybe the best defensive player in this class. Excellent. So there's an edge rusher that, that you can look forward to in your tape viewing experience and see if you agree with John. If not, you can add him at Ledyard NFL Draft and you can argue with him on Twitter and I can watch in the background, you know, pulling the puppet strings. John, thank you so much for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL show. Let the gentle listeners know where they can find you, where they can find your work, all that stuff, man. Plug away, whatever you want. Yeah, for sure. At Ledyard NFL Draft, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D NFL Draft on Twitter uh, is where you can follow me. And you can also read my work over at pewterreport.com. A lot of it is box oriented, but I do have just draft things that I do too. I just did an article comparing Jamar Chase to Antonio Brown and comparing their games a little bit over at Pewter Report. Mm -hmm. So good check that out. And then the Pewter Report podcast, we talk buck stuff obviously four days a week, but we also have NFL draft focus shows too. And we'll have NFL draft focus shows uh, starting especially after free agency, they'll be very heavily NFL draft focused. So you're going to get a lot of good draft intel even without a Bucks lean or Bucks slant there too. So uh, just fun places you can check out my work. Excellent. Appreciate you, bud. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me as always. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. 
but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the SB Nation NFL Draft Show. My name is Kyle Posey. I'm joined by a special guest today, Rondell Moore from the Purdue Boilermakers. Rondell, what's going on? What's up, man? How you doing? Doing well. Just, uh, man, my job is to watch all of you guys kind of give my idea, kind of give my quote-unquote scouting report. What's life like for you uh, these days, especially in, you know, with everything going on just during this draft process and this past year? Yeah, right now it's just pretty much, you know, working out, um, trying to eat right and stay focused, get your rest, take care of your body, and, you know, just continue to uh, stay on the path. You know, it's been a little odd with the unprecedented times and whatnot, but um, blessed to say the least, man, just taking a day at a time. So tell us how the draft process has gone. Like normally you'd be finished up with a combine, you, but now you have one date, which I believe is March 23. And that's when you have your, you know, to showcase your skills. Is that more pressure for you or uh, how, how do you, how do you take that? Honestly, in my opinion, man, I think pressure is self-applied. I don't, I don't, I just go out there and, you know, do what I was taught and, you know, what I was blessed with and what I've expanded upon. And for me, that's going out there and doing what I do, you know, go catch the ball. Um, I don't really put too much emphasis on this or that at the end of the day, man, let's keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's playing football. So. I feel comfortable from watching you saying that you're probably going to run a sub four, four, and you're probably going to jump close to 40 inches. Can you give us any sort of hints or insight as to how your testing has gone this season, or if you're training with any other draft eligible receivers that kind of bring the better competition, you know, just brings competition out of you. I mean, it's hand time. If I, if I run four, three, I'll be disappointed. Uh, I've been running four, two. So, um, you know, I intend to be there. I intend to jump well over 40 inches in the vert. Um, didn't plan on benching. If it's asked me, I'll do it. I'll do well over 20. Um, shuttle. Uh, if I run three, nine, I'll be disappointed. I've been in the three eights consistently. Where oh. uh, I'll jump, I'll be somewhere 10, eight, 10, nine. So uh, that's just a few numbers. So you're going to, it sounds like if you do any of those numbers, which I believe you, because again, like you can tell that you can move. It doesn't take, you know, a, a football expert to tell you have some explosiveness to you. You're not going to last very long if that's the case. So with that being said, there has to be plenty of interest in you, you know, with everything that you've done at Purdue, which teams have shown the most interest early on here? I mean, I've talked to pretty much, I mean, I'd probably say 20 teams. I've talked to the Colts a few times. I've talked to the Titans more than once I've talked to uh, Arizona. I mean, I can pretty much go through and name every team. I was just trying to name guys I've talked to more than once, but uh, pretty much like 20, 20 teams or so. 
when you talk to a team, do you go and watch them to see how you would fit in their scheme or uh, how does that work? And I guess my follow-up question is who is your favorite team or who is your, who, what's a scheme that you feel like you fit the best in, in the NFL? For me, I think I'm very adaptable. So, I mean, I can play in any system. Um, obviously at Purdue, a lot of it was, you know, quick touches and behind line of scrimmage. And that's what I was asked to do, but am I a route runner? Yes. Do I have every tool in the toolbox to be successful outside as a receiver running routes? Yes. Can I play in the slot and win man coverage and run options and slants and screens and whatever? Yes. Uh, so I think, you know, I have a wide variety of, um, I guess skills you could say that, you know, help me succeed inside or outside. So, when it comes to a certain team and, and what they do for me, I'll just be adaptable and go play and do what's asked of me. I don't really uh, put too much emphasis on who does this or who does that, man. I'm blessed to see the way it goes down. So you talk about just playing inside and playing outside at Purdue. I believe like somewhere around 80% of your targets or production where you lined up came from the slot. Well, that's more of like a team necessity. So when people talk about you, they're pigeonholing you in that slot just because that's what they saw. So what do you think makes a, an outside receiver? Because a height is not a skill, like by any means, that's not going to win you in the NFL. So like, what does it take to be a prominent receiver on the outside? Consistent with your hand fight at the line, uh, foot fire, obviously being crafty enough and skilled enough to get open with your feet to being intelligent enough to know what's going on and how to get open, understanding leverage of corners. Um, I think being stronger would also help. Uh, so all the other intangibles that don't include height, you know, so all the things you can control and build upon, I think I um, am equipped with, you know, all those. So when I watch you, so I cover the 49ers for a living. And when I watch you, you remind me of Debo Samuel because uh, you guys have that, I mean, you're not the same type of weight, but you have that where you can fight through contact. You're strong and you have good foot fire, as you mentioned. Uh, is there a guy that you kind of model yourself after? There's a few guys I like to watch. I wouldn't say model my game, but, you know, shoot, I take this and that and different nuances from different receivers. Yeah, no doubt about it. So crazy enough, Julio, we're, we're two different people um, and we're speaking in a lot of different phases. But uh, Julio, for sure, just in the, in the strength portion of how he wins. Um, Cooper Cup. Cole Beasley, guys like that who aren't the fastest, really savvy in the slot, understand tempo, how to get open. Uh, Keenan Allen, not the fastest guy, really gets open on Sundays, legit running routes. I think Calvin really and Diggs have a combination of strength and speed. So uh, guys like that, for sure, I pay attention to. Yeah, all those guys went in so many different ways that you just mentioned. I'm glad you brought up Cup because he definitely did not run the fastest, but he's always open all the time. And he, I think he's just proof that there are so many ways to win. Um, we, we talked about just some of your play speed, which your playmaking and play speed would be an obvious answer as far as what your biggest asset at the next level would be. But is there something else? Would it be strength? Like what's another trait that you think like the reason Rondell Moore will be successful in the NFL is because finish that sentence. Just my mentality. I think it's that simple when it comes to, you know, either whether that be the weight room, the training room, the practice, uh, an extra yard. It's just my mentality about the whole thing. You know what I mean? So I think that's what will carry me along my career and why I'll be successful. So mentality, you're going to need that because I imagine every rookie has to play some sort of special teams. And did you play any sort of, you know, punt gunner in any on the kick teams in Purdue? I know uh, you're a returner. Yeah, I was just a return man. Are you expecting to like, do you have any qualms with playing as a gunner on the next level? Because I imagine, you know, if push comes to sub, they might ask you to do so. Yeah, zero at all. I'm, you know, whatever I'm asked to do, I'm, you know, willing to get done. 
So we, we've been talking about, you know, your strengths. What's something that you've been working on to improve this offseason during your training? Just being a complete route runner. You know, whatever is asked of me to run uh, in whatever coverage and understanding what's going on and how to run it. I think that's important. Obviously, my knowledge of the game is going to have to expand. Um, I think I am up to par or even advanced right now. But um, it obviously has to, you know, continue to keep growing. So that'll be important. And then, like I said, just being able to run every route in the book. So when you say knowledge of the game, a lot of that sounds like it's coming from the mental part. Do you mean like side adjustments, recognizes blitzes, coverages? Like uh, explain yeah, to sure. the casual fan when you when you say just knowledge of the game. Uh, when I say that, man, I just mean like, you know, pregame, I mean, like pre-snap reads, um, obviously you're going to change post-snap, understand if it's single high, whatever, too high or whatever, you know, he's in cloud or whatever technique he's playing, watching film, is he a, uh, he's a motor guy, he's an aggressive, puts his hands on you when he press, does he bail, you know, so uh, things like that, just understanding how to watch film um, and how to study guys, I think would be important. And to get under someone who um, has been in the game for a while would be obviously amazing, but uh, you know, just to do my due diligence on the back end. So when I get out there, I'm comfortable enough to know what's going on and I can play fast. Yeah. You mentioned you spoke to Arizona, having a guy like Larry Fitzgerald every day to work with, I imagine will take your game to an entirely different level. So people, when they talk about you, they bring up your injury history. How, you know, how fair is that? And how concerned should they be about your injury history? Like, what do you say when scouts or coaches bring that up to you? I tell them exactly what happened. I mean, 19 was a freak injury, probably could have torn my ACL. It was a grade one, not a grade two. It wasn't a tear. It was a strain, no knees or anything like that. So I was blessed. Um, process just took a long time to get back simply because it was elongated um, throughout my hamstring, basically from the top of my butt to the bottom of my knee. Um, the second hamstring I had was a you know, I missed like maybe nine practices, two week deal, grade one as well. Um, was just because of my load. My load had been pretty high. I didn't come down, didn't do a great job of monitoring myself and it just caught up to me. I was running a post, stuck my foot in the ground, felt it a little bit grab on me. Uh, grade one as well. So both of which have healed. I've had no surgeries. Um, since then, I've had no setbacks. I feel great. Um, and then just just on that, man, on that tip, those those don't come from me being irresponsible as a player, as a person, it won't be because I'm getting a lack of sleep or I'm out partying or I'm doing, putting this in my body or putting that in my body. So um, I, those don't, those aren't really concerning to me. And I don't think they should be concerning to a team. Yeah. It sounds like going back to just controlling what you can control because um, yeah, there's nothing that you can do in that situation. And it seems like in most cases, the further you get away from the injury, you know, the more safe you are. So uh, it's good to know right. that you're taking care of yourself. Uh, Purdue. What is your favorite memory from Purdue? Was it bursting onto the scene and having 1,200 yards against Ohio State? Or what, what comes to mind when it's your favorite memory? Yeah, definitely Ohio State, simply because um, obviously we had Tyler Trent on our side that night. And um, the, we got the win, upset over the number two team in the country at the time. And, you know, they stormed the field, which is a, a memory that I'll remember forever. And uh, fortunately, I had the opportunity to have a good game. So it was amazing. Family was there. And, you know, my mother got to see it. So it was great. What changed for you after that game? Besides everything? Uh, I mean, everything around me, I guess, would change. Me, my mindset, my, my family, my inner circle, no one changed on, on as far as that. My coaches stayed the same. Uh, my teammates stayed the same. If I messed up, they would let me know. I always are supportive and, you know. So for me, nothing changed. I mean, maybe I would sign a few more autographs on my way to class or got a few more followers <laughs> on social media. But right. uh, besides that, man, it was it was always the same for me. 
Uh, let's keep it Purdue here. Tell me about David Bell, because when I watch him, he looks like the real deal. He looks like the next thing out of Purdue. So what's, a, what's your take on David Bell? What, what do you think his ceiling can be? Yeah, no doubt. I, for David, man, he's, I mean, the sky's the limit for that kid. Um, and I say that simply because, you know, he wants to learn. And uh, he came in early uh, as, a, as a freshman and, and stayed under me. And then, you know, when, we were, when I was shooting jugs, he would join me. And I was watching extra film, he would join me. So sky's the limit for him. Um, great 50-50 guy, great ball skills. So, I mean, 50-50s are like 80-20s to that guy. So um, great body control. So, you know, for him, I think it's just continuing to do some fine tuning and learn the ins and outs of the position and just continue to grind. Sky's the limit, like I said. Yeah, he's young. He's got plenty of time to learn those things. So just the fact that he's been as productive as early in his career is is a, is a pretty good sign for him. Uh, Raheem Mostert, former Boilermaker, he is on the 49ers. He won the 50, 100, and 200. Can you get Mostert in a race? Uh, how long is the race? <laughs> good question. Let's go Let's go. Uh, 50. 50, it'd be cutting it close. 50 is yeah. probably when you, uh, when you hit that second gear. So... <laughs> 40, I would be okay, I believe. 50, uh, he might he might come get me. That's when it comes. Yeah, that's when that next gear uh, <laughs> starts to eat you up. Yeah, man, that dude ran like 23 miles an hour, just unreal. Okay. Um, t- let's take it, let's dial back to earlier in your career. Did you ever have a, like a welcome to Division One moment? Whew, my first kickoff return against Ohio State, got the wind knocked out of me, my first touch. So that was like, <laughs> welcome to Big Ten football for me. This is what it is, huh? Yeah, for sure. Tell us about how you ended up at Purdue, because I think a lot of people aren't familiar with your background or your, your, how you ended up in the Big Ten. So originally I'm from New Albany, Indiana. Played quarterback my freshman year. I played running back my sophomore year. I was getting recruited at the time uh, by Coach Brown and his staff. Chris Barkley was the running back coach at Western Kentucky at the time. Uh, so we had a relationship prior to him getting to Purdue. Purdue. Um, I transferred after my sophomore year to a school in Louisville, Kentucky by the name of Trinity. Um, I don't know if you know or how familiar you are, but he actually graduated from there and uh, he was frequently in and out. So we got a chance to build a relationship from there. And obviously I got on campus and we just hit things off. So the relationships were big for me, man. I uh, got the bond with Coach Shep, my receiver coach, and obviously Coach Brom. Got to sit down watch some film and, you know, uh, we made it make sense. So that's really how I ended up at Purdue. And obviously, like I said, it was close to home and my mother being able to attend all the games was also important. Yeah, that means a lot to have your family be able to attend those games. And I can only imagine how much it meant to her. Let's talk about this draft process for you to declare. Was it a difficult decision? How long, you know, did you sit on this decision, speak to your family to, to you know, call it quits at Purdue? Yeah, for me, man, I think it it really hit me when everything was actually over. And I knew I was going to get my degree in December. Um, and the only thing I would be going back to college for would to be win a Big Ten championship. And um, at the end of the day, you have to go do what's what's best for you and your family. And I think it's important to go take care of those who've taken care of me. Um, and, you know, this opportunity doesn't present itself for everyone. And, you know, there's so much stuff that could happen in between. So, thought it was a safe decision uh, for me to go ahead and do that. I obviously spoke with the team and my head coach and you know, my mentors in my life and um, we figured it out. But yeah, it was definitely a hard decision nonetheless, simply because you go to school for three years and build this relationship with these different people. And it's just hard to, you know, leave them all. So for sure. Well, if you weren't playing football, what would you be doing? You know, that's a great question. I, <laughs> I, 
Uh, You've been doing this for so how long have you been doing just focusing on football? Because I think that people don't understand the grind of a division one athlete. Um, Obviously, we can get into a whole talk about being paid, but you guys probably wake up at what? uh, Five, do the weights, have the gym sessions, practice, meals, class. And then, you know, it's it's a grind. It's a literal job. So um, you don't really get a chance to think about things outside of football. So I kind of sprung that on you, but I want to make sure that people understand what you go through. Yeah, it's crazy. So now my mind is transitioned to basically what do I want to do now, now that I'm playing football and what doors has it open. So I think commercial real estate is definitely in the future for me. Um, if I wasn't playing ball, man, to be honest, what would I be doing? Uh, that's, that's a question we got to come back to. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I got an answer for you, bro. I've dedicated so much of my time and, and life to this. I don't know. Football's opened so many doors for me. And obviously I've had the pleasure of meeting people at Purdue and I had a internship with a guy who graduated at a staffing firm and uh, got to connect with a lot of people through that and uh, it's been amazing so I mean with career fairs and award ceremonies and things that I sort of made so many connections because of football so um, if I didn't play ball I'm not sure what I would be doing nine to five maybe oh, no. <laughs> you don't sound too thrilled about that at all. <laughs> so besides work what you wake up what is your day-to-day like what in an off season for Rondell Moore? What is a typical off season day for Rondell Moore? Off season? Am I at home? What month are we talking? So you're training leading up to the draft. Today is March 11th. So Friday, you wake up. Oh, what is your Friday cool. like? 7-16 um, is what I have my alarm set for. That 16 Respect does not that. have a significant meaning. For me, it's more so just like 15 is too early, 20 is too late. So I'm just, you know, somewhere. I respect that. That's kind of uh, how I go about it. Seven sixteen, I get to the facilities around eight o'clock. Have breakfast. Um, from there, I'll transition into the first workout at nine fifteen, which is usually a speed session, lateral session, or something uh, of that sort. Uh, from there, I'll have a shake. After my shake, I'll get treatment or do whatever I have time to do. Get my body right. Um, from there, we'll transition into position work at twelve o'clock, and then. After 12, I'll come back, I'll have lunch, and then there'll be a lift at 2.30. And then after that lift, I'll have a shake, take my dinner home. I usually don't eat till around 7, 8. Um, from there, it's my last meal. After that last session at 2.30, I'll usually be done around 4 or so, get home around 5 after I've, you know, got treatment, gotten the cold and hot tub. And, you know, just end of the day out with some feel-good stuff, whether that be mobility or uh, whatever it consists of. But I'll get home and it's basically just um, media teams, um, family, video games. So that's pretty much my whole day. Yeah, that's an entire day, man. Don't you? You kind of underplayed that at the end. That's a long day. Don't act <laughs> like that's a long day. Yeah. Um, what you're a gamer? What are you playing? Strictly Warzone and and 2K. That's that's pretty much it for me. I don't get too get too involved in mad, man. I, somebody got to put the cleats on. They start talking crazy to me. They win it. Oh. I got to take it too serious. So I don't really <laughs> mad. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a 14-year-old in your uh, talking crazy. Uh, who, do you, who do you run with in 2K? I just played a part, honestly. So I got okay. a my player I created, and I just played a part with my um, friends from back home or school or whatever. No, I uh, I appreciate you taking the time here. I just wanted to give you know give the fans an idea of who we are talking to, Rondell Moore. Um, before we get out of here, is there anything that you know you would like to leave us on? Because this is great, and I appreciate you taking the time. No, for sure. Whoever's listening, man. If- you know, supporter, hater, whatever. Appreciate you um, <laughs> on the bottom of my heart. Um, shout out to my family, trainers, coaches, um, 
mentors, everyone who's been a part of the journey. Can't thank you guys enough. It wouldn't be possible without you guys. And obviously, number one to the most high. So appreciate everybody and everything. When you when you mention haters, do you search your name on the internet? Because there are a lot of athletes who do that. I'm not into that. <laughs> That's not my thing. It shouldn't be your thing because it's a waste of time. And based on what you just said, having these 12 hour days, I didn't think so. But uh, man, I, I've been in locker rooms and I've seen dudes on Twitter searching their name. So it's, it's a yeah, thing. <laughs> well, again, man, I appreciate you. Best of luck. You know, it'd be great to have you in the Bay Area covering the 49ers, especially in the Kyle Shanahan scheme. But um, I, I imagine you're pretty scheme proof no matter where you go and you're going to have success. So thanks again, man. And best of luck to you in the future. No doubt. Appreciate you.